Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and as always I am joined by co-host Dilly Halkema to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. Welcome back Dilly, how are you feeling? Hi Nick, uh, I'm feeling so much better, how are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. Um, we're kicking off the start of the show this week with a bit of sad news. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the long-term listeners or long-time listeners of the podcast, uh, Marion Vert passed away on the 10th of March. Um, it's really, really sad for, for everyone here. Um, Marion, as I said, had, had listened to the podcast. He'd been a big supporter of the podcast. Uh, he'd often speak to me and Dilly. And uh, me and Dilly had a conversation before the record, and Dilly's written a little something from all of us here, myself, Dilly, obviously, and, and producer Simon, uh, to just share how we feel about, about Marion and, and his uh, sad passing. So, Dilly, I'll hand it over to you. Okay. So, um, this is the second shout-out Marian's getting, so he knows that he's a very loved listener. Hi, Marian. I'm um, pretty sure you're listening. This is the second shout-out you're getting on the podcast, and you know, no one's had that honor before. We don't know if you know that you've left a nice, creative, and thoughtful group of tweeps in your wake, quite literally. We've come together to share stories about you. The one last shot at Markus Söder I thought was a particularly good one. You cared, you were generous with yourself and energy, and you were supportive. You were also this special glue that linked German academic Twitter with German English Twitter and German English academic Twitter. I'm not entirely sure how you managed that, but we miss you and we hope you are at peace. Yeah, our condolences to Marion's family and uh, for anyone who's uh, looking for information, there's a there's a website that's been set up uh, you can find on uh, Marion's Twitter account. So if you're a follower of Marion, go and have a look at his Twitter account and you'll be able to follow all the information there. Okay, Deli, well, not a particularly pleasant start, but mm-hmm. still, you're back from a brush with with the coronavirus. How are you... Uh, How are you feeling? Are you fully recovered? Are you testing negative? I am. I have been testing negative for a couple of days. Though, like, you know, you sometimes get new symptoms and you don't really know where to place them. So you get time off and you spend Mm -hmm. it on Netflix and things like (laughs) that. Um, Have you had corona? Oh, I had it this time last year, actually. Oh. Um, It's my coronaversary. I went to the UK and and got COVID. Ah, true. I remember. Did it hit you particularly hard? I felt pretty bad the the two weeks before I actually had it. But although, I mean, I tested all the time, it was negative. And then when it became full-blown corona, I started testing mm. positive. I was very anxious to lose my sense of uh, taste and smell. Right, yeah, because that, that tends to happen, right? Yeah, yeah. but it didn't happen. I'm, I'm touching wood, Ikea wood. MDF then. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's for a lot of people. My wife had it um, a few weeks back mm-hmm. and she was very perturbed by the fact that she lost her ability to taste anything. And I think that's something that a lot of us don't really enjoy. It's a very odd sensation. Yeah. So if I think if you uh, if you haven't got that symptom, then it's probably not the worst thing in the world uh, if you've got a little bit of low-level COVID. Mm. So, yeah, but and it's good that you're back and it's good that you're testing positive. It's also funny, obviously, last week you were, you were away and so we brought in Aaron mm. to help us uh, with the show. And at the time, he was the host of... 
uh, the I Am Germany Twitter account. And then lo and behold, mm. I turn on Twitter on Sunday evening and who do I, whose mug do I see <laughs> splattered all over the I Am Germany Twitter account? But it's you, Tilly. You're in charge it's of I Am Germany this week. What a surprise. Mm-hmm. Are you enjoying your uh, position at the top of the German influencer tree? <laughs> It's my third stint there. I, I really your third stint. <laughs> you got you still got stuff to talk about. <laughs> I don't think I even give a self introduction. I just like started with a general question. I think because they, yeah, it felt redundant. But um, it's a wonderful energy there. I, I like interacting with people, and people have been nice. I have seen the criticism. Apparently, I'm a Brit. Uh, I'm a bit British and American leaning. Oh, honestly, I don't know what the fuck that even means. Like, it's just <laughs> blah blah blah. Like, what do you want from people, man? Everyone's a bloody critic. What was this in regard to? Was it was it because of your uh, "I love the monarchy" T-shirt and you were eating a big hamburger? Was that? I mean, that photo I told you was going to come bite you. Uh, that's going to bite me in the ass. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So was there anything in particular that seemed to rile the... Uh... No, it was it was actually not a bad comment. It was uh, someone um, someone wanted more Latino representation on I Am Germany. And they had said that I'm very pleasant, but, you know, it's uh, very British and American leaning. They had not exemplified their position, though. So I don't quite know which tweet it was. Oh, yeah. I mean, because Dilly, like... Uh... Sri Lankans are just overly represented on the I am Germany uh, Twitter account. I find like this. If, do you know what? I can't. The week doesn't go by where I don't say, oh, Simon, man, wish, uh, I wish Sri Lankans would stop taking over this Twitter account. <laughs> okay, now, what a, what a daft statement to make, honestly. I mean, sure, there's a lot of Americans and Brits on, on Twitter and there's a lot of them tweeting about Germany, but... I mean, this was a few minutes after I posted a video or an account. I retweeted an account I know from Sri Lankan Twitter, and it's one of the best Sri Lankan food accounts. And so, I mean, it doesn't get more Sri Lankan than that. A prawn stir-fry, Nick. I saw the video you're mentioning. It was... It was gift recipe-tastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I suppose it's fair. Obviously, people want to see themselves represented and other groups represented. But I think um, regularly I see tweets from, um, I forget who's who's managing the the overall account. but Catalyst. Yeah, Catalyst. I see tweets from them all the time. And they're saying, oh, if you want to do the, yeah. uh, take over the account, we've got no one next week. And so I guess it's just about people who can do it, you know, mm. and, and people who are available and got the time because I know it's an effort. But I will be, uh, I'll keep an eagle eye on your tweeting this week and see uh, <laughs> see if anything else exciting happens. But yeah, good. I'm, if if I get a chance, I'll uh, I'll throw some insults your way. You've been throwing them at me anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping it wouldn't get to that. Maybe you were too busy to see that, but apparently not. Here you are now. I'm the perpetual younger sibling where everyone feels perfectly comfortable just insulting me to my face. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, I've got no emotions. I'm not a martyr, though. I just accept it and move on. Is uh, our producer <laughs> playing a tiny violin? I believe Ooh. the producer is playing a tiny violin because he's a very sarcastic man. And interestingly, also, he's sarcastic and an exemplar of what I was just saying. So, well done. <laughs> uh, anyway, moving on. Hey, guess what, Dilly? It was St. Patrick's Day on Friday. It was. And you can only imagine what I was doing on St. Patrick's Day. I can. Nick, tell me, like, are you sober? Is it out of your system? 
I did all right. You know, there was one there was one mean tweet. He was like, for Geordie, you drink really slowly. And I was like, <gasps> do you know what? And it was just it was around about five o'clock. And I'd by that point I'd had I'd had five beers because I was going a beer per hour uh for most of the day. And uh I've got to get to the end of the Newcastle game, which will be around about half past eleven or something. Mm-hmm. Um I had a an eleven till eleven excursion. So drinking quickly was not the the mission. Nick, how on earth do you do it? I mean, I'd love to have your liver. It's not that hard. It's a pint an hour, man. It's not that difficult. It's, in fact, that's really slow. You you had more beers in one day than I've had my entire <laughs> life. I think I had 11 beers in total, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. But it was 11 beers in about 11, 11 and a half hours. So that's not that difficult, really. The trick is not doing shots, mm. which are being effectively flung at you by by people mm. everyone was buying shots around about sort of six o'clock and uh, sticking to one drink so i just drank guinness yeah except for the last beer which i think was a hellas and the, the real issue there was around about i guess around about five or six beers in you just began to get a bit bored and not only just a bit bored like Guinness is quite a bodied mm. uh, beverage you know and you sort of drink enough of it you begin to get a little bit it begins to sit in the stomach a bit a bit heavy so you've got to <laughs> you've got to just deal with it as you move you on. know our producer is over his jet lag let's say that officially <laughs> yeah. yeah he's enjoying this description of me trying not to talk about my bodily functions too much <laughs> but definitely has an impact on your lower intestine so be careful of that as you go but um yeah it was great i had a really good time the bits i i've remember <laughs> really fun so nick we have a question we have a question uh, for you on twitter and this is from at Scandy Tina on Twitter. Oh, lovely Scandy Tina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she can ask me anything pretty much. Okay, and this is particularly about your St. Patrick's Day undertakings. Yeah, okay. How many days does it take for him to recover from a St. Paddy's Day bender? And is his wife as sympathetic to his post-celebration uh, hangovers as we are? I think before I went, she was very annoyed. I think... I'm walking on eggshells here. My wife is eight months pregnant, mm-hmm. sort of seven and a half. Let's say eight months, all right? Because I don't want to get into trouble on that front either. <laughs> um, so I'm just walking on a minefield of eggshells. And so I think she was a bit annoyed that I was going for a jolly and I'd taken a day off work to do so. But by Saturday morning, I think she was just happy that I was back and not dead and not been arrested by any policeman. So that was achievements. Yeah, I mean, she's not sympathetic of the fact that I had a hangover, and I didn't have much of a hangover because I'm not a freaking amateur. So I had plenty of water. I was a bit tired, and uh, Deutsche Bahn did me a solid, of course, by delaying every train, making every train late. I was two and a half hours late getting home. Deutsche Bahn have come up with this great new idea, right? Which is to take you to your destination, but stop the train about three feet away from the platform and just wait and wait and wait and wait and then let you off, uh, which they did on every single train on Saturday and then again on the Strassenbahn. So maybe it was just not just Deutsche Bahn, it was just transport across the country was in this new delaying process. But Mm -hmm. uh, I sat outside of Ingolstadt for 
seven minutes almost exactly because it was I had seven minutes to change. No, I had eight minutes to change, and I had a minute to run from my train to get to my train at Augsburg in Ingolstadt uh, because all mm. my time had been sucked up by uh, weird delays. So uh, it was all a bit of a pain in the ass. Um, so she wasn't very happy that I got back late, which is fair. Mm. And I wasn't happy that I had to travel with a bit of a hangover. But I did eat several uh, cheese and ham croissants, which made me feel like I could punch God in his very face. So was this during or the day after? Day after. I had four breakfasts the day of. Four of those Irish breakfasts? No, 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 not those. I had four different breakfasts. That was my strategy. I knew I had to eat a lot before I started. And I knew I wouldn't if I just got up and went. So I had breakfast at home around about sort of 6.30. Then I had another one when I got to the station. I had like a egg McMuffin and a mm -hmm. cup of coffee. Then I had croissant and a cup of coffee. Then another croissant and another cup of coffee. Then a cheese and ham croissant and a cup of coffee. And then I had a fried breakfast and a cup of coffee. I had a lot of coffee by the time I got to the drinking part. Um, and that was, the, uh, that was the plan all along. But I tell you, man, cheese and ham uh, croissants, they're the, they're the future they are. <laughs> they're dirty they're not so horrible yeah. they're dirty but they're great mm. but they are no you don't like them were you being sarcastic i love them they're just dirty like you know they are the cheese is all like weirdly melted you're quite clean living aren't you dilly so you might have had like i don't know what would you might eat like a kumquat or something like that or like a um a mango or something you sort of eating some exotic fruit that you've you've discovered at the local raver um that sounds like the kind of breakfast you you might i have. eat overnight oats thank you there you go. Thank so, you. right, you're eating some With kind pure of cacao pulver. bland oat based uh, <laughs> breakfast adventure. Um, <laughs> you might, I don't even know. Can you even spare that? No, and I don't even know what it looks like, but I know it sounds funny. And I bet you do. And I, I bet do. you could draw I, I me a picture it. of one if I asked I, you. They sell more of it in the French supermarkets and at Edeka here. <laughs> I knew you would know where you could buy it as mm -hmm. well. Um, yeah, lovely. So, um, yeah, the, the the thing about it is when you buy these things at like the bakery, like a bakery you go to in a street in Germany is generally quite clean and nice. A bakery in a train station, a Hauptbahnhof, is generally scuzzy and horrible and and overpriced like, a, a greasy and a little bit wrong and that's i mean that's exactly what you need with a hangover so i ate several of those and and felt like a goddamn champion so yeah that's how i got over it it probably took about two days though for the full fog of the hangover to lift so mm. yeah hope that's hope that's all the information scandy tina wanted i hope she's keeping notes <laughs> I hope so. I'm also taking down my own notes because, you know, when you go to France, I don't know whether they actually say croissants with fillings inside. I've never had that. I can't say. I haven't been to France in a long time. Mm. But I, I mean, assumption would be somewhere must. But like they sell loads of them here. You've got, I guess you might get a um, croque monsieur, wouldn't you? Or something like that. Isn't that Dutch? No, I mean, the, the name sounds French, but... Mm, no. <laughs> so, that's my best guess. That's all I can say. Um, or croque madame with a fried egg on the top. That's quite nice. Ah, no, croque monsieur, that's French. But I, they do have the whole toasty thing in... Uh, toasties. Yeah, That's yeah. Dutch. Let's just assume it's a European-wide concept, but they, they have, like, almond-filled ones and chocolate-filled ones mm. and Nutella-filled ones okay. here. So, whether the average French person would be particularly happy to see that i cannot possibly tell you i was 
Fourful at Fourful eighty one, he wants to know what it feels like to be an influencer and slash top model. I mean, you'd have to ask somebody who was those things because I don't think I'm either of those things. You do not want to take a compliment. Uh, no, I'm British. I'm British. We don't do well with compliments. In fact, I feel incredibly uh, uncomfortable just at the very concept. I don't know. I, y- yes, yes, good. <laughs> it feels good. Okay. And you have a third question. You're not skipping this. It's from at Aaron G. Burnett. Oh, um, who's that? Is that someone we know? <laughs> <laughs> so he's asked you when you're bringing your lederhosen to Berlin Pride. You know, I made that joke last week and I, I will I will follow through with the lederhosen at Berlin Pride. However, I will first have to buy some lederhosen and also... Let's wait a couple of years because when the baby arrives, I don't think I'm going to be leaving the house for for any kind of long extended journey to Berlin, mm-hmm. regardless of the reason. So let's say two years. <laughs> okay, no Paddy's Day next year then? Uh, no, don't be stupid. Come on, it's a religious <laughs> festival. <laughs> the baby will be all right with that, I guess. Let's be honest, there's a difference between me traveling two hours to go to Nuremberg and me taking an entire weekend to go to Berlin. I don't see that happening whatsoever. <laughs> I might get overnight. I probably won't, but I might. I doubt I'll be able to uh, head to Berlin, though, sadly. So, um, is that all the questions? Uh, yeah, these were the questions. Yep. I have some of my own, though. Oh, go on. Tie it up with those questions. Okay. How many of you was it on the train, up and down? You were not on your own? Oh, I was on my own and traveling, yeah. Oh, did you have mates yeah. that you went drinking with? Oh, no. I just sat in the pub on my own and cried into my <laughs> pint again. Of course I did. All the folks I know in Nuremberg <laughs> turned up. But I guess it's age, really. It's one of those moments where maybe five or six times a year we all get to hang out together mm-hmm. and so yeah it was it was nice to see everybody but there wasn't a big load of us on the train because frankly i i hate that when there's like drunken people on the train yeah. or there's lots of football fans on the trains back and there were just not the fans there was just a group at the in the dining car who were just louder than everybody else mm-hmm. to a point that they just didn't seem to be appreciate how loud they were mm-hmm. so i try and avoid that making a, a big show of myself okay um, why do you take a day off uh, on saint patrick's day why not some other day what's special to be honest i couldn't give a monkeys about the religious significance of saint patrick's mm. day really what it comes down to is it was the first time i ever went out with all, all mm. my friends it was the first time I'd ever really done St. Patrick's Day way back. I think it must have been like 2013 we first did it, so about 10 years ago. And I didn't really know anyone. And Simon, actually, he was the one who instigated it. I met mm. Simon and hanging out with him for a couple of weeks. And then he was like, he's like, oh, what are you doing next Sunday? And I was like, oh, nothing. Why? And he's like, oh, we're all going out for St. Patrick's Day. And I thought it was a bit, I thought it was a bit kitschy, mm. really. And then I went and it was just so much fun and we've just done it. It's just a sort of excuse for everyone together and wear green, I guess. Did you wear green? You did wear green. <laughs> I got a pair of the most amazing trainers with which to celebrate my non-existent Irish heritage. But yeah, you try and wear something green. You've got to keep up with it. I don't wear a Guinness hat because I'm not, I'm not a filthy casual. So, But I did have a, a green pair of trainers. Okay, you played it cool. Of course. That's the way you got to do it. I'm a, a long-term supporter of... All day drinking. 
that sentence could have ended itself without you saying that. Good done. But I, I mean, I enjoy it as well. Irish pubs get a bad rap. I wrote, I wrote something about mm. like pubs and pub culture in Germany because there is a lot of differences in pubs and pub culture uh, between Britain and, and Germany. And, and, and there's also difference in, in conceptions of what makes mm. a good pub. And Irish pubs are like a totally different entity within sort of German yeah. bar bar yeah. culture. And uh, they get a bad rap because it's generally where you find the dreaded expats, you know, mm. and propping up a bar or you'll see a lot of uh, people who, whether for right or wrong, are perceived to not have really integrated into German culture, which I find a little bit offensive because, to be honest, the bar I was in on St. Patrick's Day was f far more populated by Germans than it was by any other group. Hurtsgen Aurax around the corner, so Adidas is around the corner, so there's a lot of international people in Nuremberg. Mm. But specifically, like, there was a lot of Germans. A lot of Germans came in towards the end of the evening and the bar was properly rammed with people. And most of the time, I was speaking to people in German. So I'm massive, so I just stood at the bar because there was nowhere else to stand. And people were like having uh, like tappers on the shoulder so they could order. So I was like the the it's <laughs> just like moving out of the way and like having to like help them order and it was all a bit ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But but uh, I think they were a really nice place, but very different from German bars, um, and and probably not dissimilar from a British pub or an Irish pub, but not exactly a one for one yeah replication for sure. I'm not entirely sure of the difference between the pub and the bar, but yeah, I think I get it though. The thing I'm thinking about, and I didn't put in the article actually, was that it's tiles. Hmm. So a lot of German bars have tiles on the floor, hmm. and that's not a common feature of most bars in Britain, at least. Um, you might have some places that are tiled, but far more of them have floorboards or hmm. carpets. Hmm. And so that's always something that stands out to us. But it's a lot of different things, like the standing at the bar versus getting served at the table, kind of community vibe that's created. Bar culture in Germany can differ from city to city as well. I think Nuremberg's bar culture is quite nice. Augsburg's bar culture is piss poor, mm -hmm. mostly because in Augsburg people reserve tables. So if you go to a bar in, in Britain at six, seven o'clock, mm. there'll be a fair few people in. Go to a bar at six, seven o'clock in, in, in Augsburg, no one's around. All the tables have been booked for, for nine o'clock. Mm. And it's just really, there's no atmosphere and you just say, oh, well, I don't want to sit here on my own drinking. It's no fun. So there is a lot of difference, mm -hmm. certainly, uh, to be found from city to city, but also from uh, Britain and Ireland to, to Germany. Almost as soon as the German election ended in 2021, it became clear that Germany would not only have the largest Bundestag in history, but also the largest freely elected national chamber in the world. The reaction in Germany, at least from uh, politicians and the media, was to bemoan the scale of government, with many pointing out that with more politicians in the chamber, government would be more expensive, more cumbersome and slow. Reform of the Bundestag has been discussed for decades, but the Ampel Coalition made it one of their goals to reform parliament, and they presented their ideas last week to the Bundestag, and due to their governing majority, passed the reform through the Bundestag. So, Nick, tell us, why does Germany have so many politicians? 
It's a good question, I think, to be honest. The first thing I have to say is, oh man, German politics is so confusing. Uh-huh. <laughs> like voting systems are really tough. So this uh, this was a lot of sort of research in the making uh, to try and understand this problem. But ultimately, it comes down to two things that are happening within the German system. Uh, one of them is called the Überhang Mandat, and the other one is the Ausgleichsmandat. And these are systems that uh, essentially are translated as the overhang and seat leveling systems. Now, that already, I think, sounds quite tricky, but it really just breaks down into this process that you have within German elections. And a German national election, when you vote, you choose a party and a local candidate. So you get two um, I think it's two bits of paper, or it might be combined. I can't remember what happened in 2021. I was so excited just to do it. You choose the party and you choose your local candidate. And that means that seats in the Bundestag are taken by those who are directly elected and by those who have a seat because of the proportional vote uh, for the party. So you get a proportional vote Mm. for your party and you also get your candidate. And generally what happens is the winner of the direct vote goes into one candidate and a candidate is selected within the party Mm. to go in through this proportional system. right? And that's been the system that works. So when a party wins more constituencies than it would get from a proportional vote so what happens is they win more direct mandates or they do single candidates than they win compared to their proportion what happens is you have an issue about who's allowed to take seats in the bundestag what basically happens is you get what they call these overhang seats overhangs mandat so you have these two levels that you've got to think about how many candidates you've won directly by vote and how much proportional vote you've got Mm. and when you have a discrepancy between these two numbers like a party winning more constituencies Mm. than it would get from the proportional vote Mm. they have to have a system to level that out and this leads to this process of balancing Mm. what they call the Überhangsmandat, which is this more seats from direct votes Mm. than from proportional votes and then you get the Ausgleichsmandat, which is the mechanism that fixes that and what that does essentially is it gives the other parties seats to balance out the proportional vote. So it tries to balance these proportional votes with direct votes. And so in this system, you would see lots of different fluctuations, as you saw in 2021. And we had 138 extra seats because of this system of overhanging mandates and balancing, Mm. right? And it's really, really complicated to think about. And it's something that I really didn't fully understand until I was I was thinking about it here. But you can see there's a bit of a problem there, right? Because if you have if you have in a system where you've got two big parties, shouldn't be an issue. But now we're seeing more and more smaller parties coming through and more distribution of the vote among these smaller parties, you start to see problems of like, well, hang on, you've got less of the proportional vote, but you've won three mandates that doesn't make any sense like how do we balance that oh we have to add people here so that everybody gets balanced out and you just end up with these quite squidgy overly large parliaments what are the german government proposing well the proposal is quite straightforward from 2025 anyone who's directly elected won't be allowed to take their seat so if you vote for your single candidate and you have this issue 
with this overhang. They just won't, the, the direct candidates won't be allowed to take their seat. Mm. And the proportional vote will be the most important aspect mm. of the national vote. Should a party win more direct mandates than proportion of the vote, those directly elected MPs won't be allowed to sit. That's the basics. They just removed this process. Okay. So you're saying I could vote for a direct candidate, they could win, but not actually be allowed to sit in the Bundestag? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Ah, <laughs> oh, hey? But wait, okay, is that even democratic? Well, I think you've sort of nailed the, the issue here, which is that it's uh, the argument being made by the opposition is that this is not democratic at all. This is a phrase that I've heard quite a lot and I couldn't really work it out because I often would see it translated and not see it as in German. Die erste Stimme is what they talk about, the first vote. Mm. And so they see the direct vote being the first vote. And I think it's actually a little bit of kind of twisting of the language mm. to suit the situation. By calling it the first vote, it already sounds far more important. Mm. But that's what they're, they're sort of saying, is you take away this first vote, this die erste Stimme from people, and therefore you're, you're kind of wrecking democracy. Mm. And it could be the case that a, a more successful politician in the same party from somewhere else takes the place of a directly elected candidate mm. so you would see like well okay my candidate didn't get in but proportionally we're still okay we're still fine mm. but there's another situation that does sound a little bit dodgy which is because of the ranking system within the direct vote mm. you could end up with a situation where your direct vote is basically cancelled because the preference in your area is actually for a candidate from a different party so what you have is a situation where say the next biggest amount of votes went to this party then they are going to go as the direct candidate mm -mm. so they'll still be direct candidates mm. right they just might go to different parties so in a situation where say the csu win a direct mandate in augsburg mm. but they don't actually win a, a lot of proportional votes to correspond with mm. the amount of direct mandates they get the csu candidate would be stood down the proportional vote would be maintained. And then perhaps to balance things out in the parliament, it could be a green candidate that becomes the direct mandate in your area, right? That's essentially what they're sort of threatening. It's a very layman's terms way of thinking about it. But again, mm. it's due to this ranking system within the vote, right? You can see there's an argument here for potentially mm, there's something screwy going on mm. with regards to democracy. So who exactly is against the plan? It's always the same people, isn't it? It's the, it's the CDU mm. and their partners, the CSU, mm. uh, and they're both uh, very unhappy with this situation, especially for the CSU. A vast majority of their support comes from one state in particular, which is, which is Bavaria. Hang on. So Bavaria has its own party in the Bundestag. Which other states have their own party? Well, I mean, to be honest, I'm sure there's lots of little parties in other states that represent their kind of state interests but i believe that Bayern is the only one that has its own representatives in the chamber of the bundestag as well as in their state parliament too so you have Bayern kind of overrepresented mm -hmm. almost yeah but how is that fair uh, for the other 15 states i guess it depends who you ask about that really um i mean bavarians seem to think it's quite fair i'm sure they do <laughs> But that being said, there was a really detailed article uh, I read on why essentially the CSU are quite relaxed about it. Mm. Uh, they're not 
as angry as you might expect, mm. given that they're opposition, conservative, anti kind of everything the government's standing for. They haven't quite gone in as heavy as you would expect mm. them to go in. But but why? I think it's kind of electioneering at this point. Uh. You've got um, you've got uh, them fighting a state election. Yeah. And most of that state election seems to, or strategy seems to revolve around bashing Berlin, complaining about the government, saying how terrible they are. So all of this just plays into their hand. It really strengthens their 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 rhetoric about a failing government doing terrible stuff. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That that makes sense. I imagine it would be weird if there were like different systems of election for the national government and um, then for the state elections. Oh, like sorry, sorry, like Dilly, um, that. I might not have mentioned this before. There are different systems in different states that differ from the national system. <laughs> you didn't just say that. What? <laughs> yeah, Johnny, it was even better than that. Right, this is even better. Given the CSU's opposition to Val reform, a Bavaria doesn't actually have the overhang mandates or leveling system in their own state elections. <laughs> they actually would have something that's more sort of comparative to the system that the government want to put in. So they actually have a different system that benefits the CSU in the state and they also want to keep the system that benefits them outside the state as well. Okay, this makes zero sense. Uh, well, it doesn't, it doesn't. Do you want to know something else that's a bit odd? No, frankly, you know what? This is a bit much. No, thank you. I'm sure you're going to tell me anyway. I am going to tell you. So the other parties that vehemently are against this are Die Linke, right? So you've got Die Linke, mm. CDU, CSU. Mm. You've got Die Linke and the most conservative groups, right? Mm. So you're most left, most right, uh, except for the AfD, of course, who are the mm. rightest of the right. Um, so you've got centre-right and quite sort of right of centre, I guess would be the term. Um, so Die Linke are actually in the current Bundestag, even though they got below the 5% threshold mm. in 2021. They won three direct mandates, three constituencies, which meant that they actually won 39 seats overall in the Bundestag. Mm. So Die Linke are very much invested in this because they're, they're essentially in the Bundestag on the grace of the fact they'd won these mandates. When the system is in place for the next election and that would occur where they won three mandates but below this 5% threshold that's part of the uh, constitution that maintains protection against kind of small extremist parties mm. or unrepresentative parties. If they got the same result in the next election, they wouldn't be in parliament. Okay. So the delinker would be essentially wiped out. Yeah. And that's kind of what's going to happen to the CSU as well mm. uh, because the CSU didn't do so well in their the national election mm. and are basically in their... Um, they're in a situation, I think they won 5.2% of the vote, the CSU. And should the CSU drop below 5.2%, they may well not feature in the Bundestag either, which would be a blow, I guess, to the power of the CDU overall, but definitely a blow to Bavaria, seeing that they didn't have this representation that they kind of think is is theirs by right. Mm. Though you have th this constellation, this grouping of, of extreme left, mm. centre-right, mm. And I only say this because if you watched the debate last week in the Bundestag, mm. you would have seen the CDU leader, Frederick Mertz, nodding in agreement whenever D-Linka politicians stood up to criticize the new <laughs> law. And I was just sitting there going, like, when does this ever happen? Like, proper left-wing-looking politicians yeah. standing up, yeah. like, complaining and shouting about how this was the end of democracy. Yeah. And Frederick Mertz was like, yeah, he got, he's got a point. That guy <laughs> over there, the, the vegan guy over there, has got a point. Uh, so it was, quite, it was quite funny to watch that. Mm. So... 
are you telling me that the CDU, the CSU and the Die Linke are all agreeing on something? That's that's new. Yeah, it's pretty new uh, and it was pretty wild. Mm -hmm. uh, and it does take a lot uh, for those to just agree on what color the sky is mm. or what color the grass is or what day it is. Okay. So. What do you think is next? Oh, well, it's the, the easiest thing is next. Uh, it's going to the Federal Constitutional Court in Karlsruhe, where mm. everything goes now, mm. uh, to be a kind of checked and double-checked over and over again. Mm. And eventually, they'll either confirm or entirely reject this new mm. law change. I wouldn't be surprised if it's entirely rejected. I've seen Karlsruhe do some pretty wild things when it comes to laws. Mm. They're pretty stringent. Mm. So you could see it thrown back to the Bundestag to change a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's all looking a, um, a little like we're, there's going to be a bit of a delay going forward. So we could be talking about this again soon. Soon's relative, isn't it? The courts will take their time. Mm. But like most things down here, everything takes a bit of time, right? <laughs> all right. Well, that sounds good. This gives me a chance to lie down and recover. Ha. I think we all need to lie down <laughs> after that. <laughs> Last week, department store group Galeria Karstadt Kaufhof announced that they would be closing the doors of nearly 50 of its 129 stores across Germany, following news that the group faced possible bankruptcy. This is not only a blow to the 500 employees affected, but also to the shoppers. Uh, Galeria Kaufhof and his upmarket stablemate Karstadt have been fixtures on the German high street for decades. Uh, I could even be centuries. Their closing will impact many who have only ever shopped there or have found really a great use in shopping in one single place. And many of the people affected appear to be pensioners. Dilly, when was the last time you shopped in a department store? In February. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of shocked. Are you telling me that Karstadt and Kaufhof and Galleria are three different things? The Galleria, Kaufhof and Karstadt are different shops owned by the same group. Ah, oh, that sounds like cheating. Because I have never seen these three names next to each other because you just said the department store group, Galeria Karstadt Kaufhof. It's the first time I'm seeing that. It's like the Holy Trinity. It's not a massive surprise in Germany. There's a few companies like that mm. where you're like, surely this is a monopoly mm. issue and uh, no one seems to think it's a big problem. Mm. But you've kind of put your finger a little bit on part of the problem, I think. But we'll, we'll, mm. we'll talk about that in a moment when we talk about uh, what's been happening. Okay. But yeah, so you, you were actually there in February. So you were a big shopper in department stores then? Uh, it's usually the window shopping. Also because like you go to one place and you have like the household stuff and the clothes and uh, you can... Um, check out the perfumes, use the testers, and then come back out. It's it's convenient. You don't, you don't go there? I haven't really shopped in a department store since the start of the pandemic. I kind of gave up on shopping in German shops mm. after my first taste of... I didn't really shop online. I used to be, didn't trust it at all, didn't like the systems. Mm. But they got real good real quick during the pandemic. Mm. Uh, meaning that you could buy something and if it was the wrong size, send it back yeah. and, and do all these different things. And yeah, I just haven't looked back since. I haven't gone back to a shop. I haven't bought clothes or pretty much anything from a, a physical shop in probably years at this point. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I'm also into online shopping. I can kind of see where you're coming from. But what what were you buying in like department stores? Were you doing the full shop? Were you buying all the clothes and using the supermarket? And I do not use a supermarket there. 
it's a very expensive. Uh, you're always sort of looking for comparisons to what Karstadt and Kaufhof and these big department stores are like. And I mean, we still have CNA for God's sake, but CNA is all clothes, right? But hmm. there was a difference. Karstadt was the high end department store. I say hmm. high end, but it was generally considered to be of a slightly higher quality than Galleria Kaufhof. But they hmm. were basically the selling the same things in the same kind of hmm. arrangement. There's something mm. of the Marks and Spencers about them, but mm. also something of the John Lewis. In fact, John Lewis is probably a little bit of a push. If you've been to a John Lewis shop in Britain, they're really high-end department stores. They're really, really good. Mm. It's not quite of that quality, but they're in so many cities. Like I said, there was, there's lots and lots of um, different locations for these shops. One thing I really like is like when you walk in there, the salespeople don't like chase after you through the shops. They leave you in peace. They they just roam around very, uh, you know, it, it's very understated, the sales techniques. I quite enjoy that. You can just like walk through the Yankee candles and the, and the Villeroy and Bach. That's one of the things that's come up over and over again in the reports is the impact uh, on the different employees and a lot of the media focus has been on the fact that these employees have been very diligent mm. had to deal with quite a lot mm. over the last few years and i think there's i think i think i said only there was there was only 500 employees but i think in total uh, that, that's that's an inaccurate number i'm afraid listeners i think there could be upwards of, of 5000 jobs going within within these different department stores. So that's a bit of an issue. There's a, obviously the human element involved. Wow. The other side of it is a lot of people talking about how Süddeutsche Zeitung did a, a lovely article where they went to different cities that were losing their department stores and asking people, and a lot of them were, were elderly people. And they were just simply saying, you know, well, I've done my shopping here for 30 years, you know. Mm. I've only ever done my, all my shopping in this one place. The, the staff are always really nice to us and they're always really helpful and, and I feel really sad for them. And, and obviously you've, that is a, a big sadness. But they've, um, mm. they've been cutting staff, like nobody's business. And again, oh, no. there, was a, there was an article that focused, yeah, yeah, I mean, there was an article that focused on this particular problem. And they were talking mm. about how essentially they'd been cutting staff for years and it got to a point now where staff were spread really thinly across different departments and couldn't mm. really do the job that they were doing before which was customer care and making customers mm. feel special which only served to increase the problem that they were mm. having which is if the argument is what's better shopping online or shopping in person you've got to go with all the advantages that shopping in person has to win that argument which is the human element mm. and they didn't even have that so that was a real big, big issue for them. Not just that, though. The other side of it is the fact that department stores are a real tired business model. Like They're a real unchangeable system that seems to have been waiting to be put out of its misery rather than trying to adapt to the challenges that, that they've faced. I haven't seen any department stores doing anything interesting in all the time I've been here, and now they're all going out of business. I'm kind of like... Are you surprised? That is very true, ne? Like, you think about spaces and shops that I've seen in other countries where they're trying to come up with different ideas for how to attract customers. Yeah. But I can't see shops on that scale existing for much longer. Like, in Britain, 
we already lost BHS. We lost HMV way back in 2007. These big mm. sort of multi-story shops, you know, have really just gone. And what you have are independents or things like Primark, mm. lowest common denominator, or things that are high-end or higher-end like uh, Marks and Spencers, mm. things that people trust, you know, have a lot of trust in them, still have a, a very modern business mm. model. But going into a car start in sort of 2023 was very much the same feeling you would get if you went in 2011. Yeah. I didn't feel modern. No. And I'm not surprised, really. I'm not actually that sad about it, except for the people losing their jobs. You are right. I mean, I've been in Germany for like, what, nearly 12 years. And there has not even been a promotion. I mean, you go into a bakery and they give you like cubes of bread with butter on it. I mean, there's... You know, you have some kind of a change, Abwechslung. But you go into Karstadt, there's nothing. I, it didn't change in the 10 years I knew it. I kind of liked going to Karstadt for that very reason. Yeah. It reminded me of the first time I'd come to Augsburg, every time I went in the city centre. Because yeah. I was like, it's just never changed. Yeah. It's never changed. It's very consistent, yeah. But that's part of the problem. Like, the the, the, the stuff, the sell, man. Yeah. I went into Marks and Spencers, like I said, is our comparison. Mm. And they're like clothes and food. Mm. Um, they don't do all the things that a car start does, but most of the basics, right? You'd probably be able to buy most of the things you could buy in a car start, in a, in a Marks and Spencers. But they have their own line of clothes that's really sort of mm, the really push. Yeah. And they do deals with the England football team. So all the England football wear mm. that wasn't the kits at the World Cup was supplied by Marks and Spencers, oh. right? Never seen that from Karstadt, really, no. aside from the sports section and they've got maybe a cut out of Thomas Muller or something. Like in Marks and Spencers, they've got a very consistent marketing team mm. who've pushed certain products. And um, one of the big things they're pushing this year is, you know, we'll talk about hot cross buns mm. closer to Easter, but we have these things in Britain called hot cross buns that are like a, like an Osterbrot and they're making sandwiches out of them ah, and selling yeah, them. I saw right? this. I saw this. It's, I'm going to try one. I'm probably going to try several of them, right? Yeah. But they would come up with new products, sell new ideas, trying to sell new stuff. They never really sort of stood still. Whereas Karstadt plodded along, same kind of products. Yeah. And frankly, as a just the bloke shopping in in shops, and I've, I remember telling Simon about this and dis discussing with it with him a, a few months back. I can only wear blue. Why? Because most of the clothes that are sold in these department stores are either blue kind of shirts for mm. people in their 50s or clothes for people in their 20s and then there's people in the middle who are just like me who get to buy blue t-shirts that aren't very interesting mm. or shoes that aren't very interesting or maybe i can get some chinos mm. because everything else either makes me look dead old or, t or like I'm, I'm desperately clinging on to my 20s mm. and as soon as i went on to like online mm. everything opened up i could buy yeah. stuff that i liked yeah. stuff that was interesting stuff i'd never seen in the shop yeah. I don't know about you, I spend a lot of time looking at people's shoes. I don't know why, but I've, something I've been doing recently is just how many people have the same pair of shoes? How many people have Yeezys? How many people have Adidas Superstars? Ah. How many people have Sam Smiths? Mm. How many people have like a nice sort of basic pair of, I don't know, is it the F1 Nike shoes or something like that? You've got loads of people wearing these sort of very samey shoes. 
And I'm just like, that's because all the shops sell all the same stuff. And especially the department stores sell all the same stuff. Mm. You cross the road into the shoe shop, it's selling the same shoes, the same shit. And there's no variance. And no wonder Jack Wolfskin's so fucking popular. Because it's the only thing that looks slightly different from what you get anywhere else. You do end up walking down a high street. And I can't, I'm sure I can't be the only person who, who noticed this. People seem to dress very similarly. Yes. When you see trends, like there was a trend a few years ago for the for in, with men for those, I don't know what the company's called, but they're like very high-end puffer jackets mm. and they have a little Swiss flag on the shoulder mm. or there's a very noticeable Swiss flag mm. and it's a very high-end brand. And I remember going to the shops and only seeing those jackets on sale. What I wanted was one of those sort of big, a big overcoat, mm. right? A big kind of like a bouncer's coat, mm. essentially, or a pea coat or something. That's all I wanted. Couldn't buy anything like that. Every shop had puffer jackets, these jackets, or that, or hoodies, and that was it. And then you walk out in the street, and that's exactly what every mm. bloke's wearing, because that's all they've got as a range of options. Yeah. And as soon as I started shopping online, I was like, all right, I want a Pico. I'll buy that one. A range of 17 I could choose. Yeah. All right, fine. Then I'm pretty happy about that. And I think that's quite telling as well yeah. about where basically they were going wrong. You're right about that, Nick. I mean, I also haven't bought clothes, uh, like anything, anything fancy in a store in a very long time. So maybe... I think I, I was in a, a peak in Kloppenburg uh, some time ago. I bought something on a, on sale. It was five bucks or something. It was a black top. And that's pretty much like the only bla two. I have two black things and that's it. But um, I mean, you walk into a store, most of the clothes are going to be very muted, gray, black or white. And But if you shop online, you also have the filters and you can filter things by color and... And then you're not just buying something that you see because that's what you see. You also end up looking for something that you really want and you get to send it back. I really like that option. I've bought like sh maybe shoes I don't want to buy online anymore, but clothes I pretty much buy it online. I mean, there's things like the pink trainers that I bought. Never would be able to buy them in a shop. I'd never seen them anywhere before in any mm. shop before. Most of the clothes that I buy, I buy because they're a bit different mm. or I haven't really seen them. I've got a certain styles that I've kind of, like I've said, like I, I don't like to wear th the same as everybody else, mm. but I certainly don't want to wear like a puffer jacket. Yeah. Like, and it just seems like there's a point where I was, I was kind of going, oh, I'll just be like everyone else. It's just easier. But I felt horrible about it. And it's nice to be able to have like an individual yeah. style or yeah, yeah. even even if my individual style is quite similar to somebody else's, yeah. as long as I don't look like we're all invasion of the body snatchers <laughs> and we're all just cookie cutter similar, you know. I also wear, like in summer when it's sunny, I wear a lot of like colorful sarongs from Sri Lanka. And mm. uh, I, I, it's just me. I like the color. I like the cheer. And you don't find those colors here ever anywhere. Uh, summer's a good example when the summer fashion comes in and they start pushing only the, the things that they have been told to push their small like ah. selection of options and you end up with like this year we think men want to wear shorts with stupid patterns on them mm. and so that's all we're going to sell and if you want a pair of shorts that's just black mm. or green mm. tough luck because they're now double the price you know, oh, for God's like that would happen so frequently where it'd just be like this thing shouldn't be this price and now, um, essentially, these shops are kind of getting, getting what they kind of deserve. The last thing I sort of say on this is, do you have any ideas for 
how these spaces that maybe are going to be totally empty, these giant department stores, any good ideas for how we can sort of use them in the future, do you think? That's true, ne? That now we have so much space. There's yeah, it's a big concern for a lot of people, like what happens to the centre of a city if your Galleria Kaufhof or your Karstadt's gone and you've just got a massive empty building in the middle of your city centre. <laughs> Do you think they're going to be, like have malls, like mini malls? I mean, it's an option. You could make it smaller shop units, potentially. Yeah. That's definitely a way that some places have gone. I've seen some great ideas of like turning things into big food courts. Oh, nice. And having like food yeah. vans and or like having local companies put on things. Mixed use is apparently a good idea mm. as well, where you have art, artistic events or... Or whatever. I mean, is there something that you would like be, oh, I'd love to use a space for that or see space used for this? Is there something you could think of? I always had it in the back of my head that uh, if everything fails, I might open a restaurant. Yeah, I think people would love that, you know. When you could do it in a space that maybe would help sort of help you set it up as mm. well, you know. You could create like a, a business support kind of structure, which would just make things more interesting. But... Doesn't this also mean that, okay, so one big conglomerate kind of entity is out and the huge space can be divided up between people who are venturing in, who are not parts of chains. That's also kind of nice. Potentially it could be that you have much smaller companies mm -hmm. operating out of these stores or, or dividing the stores up between them or creating mm. spaces where you've got what looks like a department store, but actually you've got different vendors. Mm. Um, these are all great ideas. I think it is better. But ultimately, I think they need to make decisions now because these are things that are going to happen over the next 10 years. But it would be good to see things like more promotion of the arts in these spaces. Mm. But as far as I'm concerned, I reckon the days of large department stores or large companies in city centers is pretty much over. I could see more people coming into city centers to yeah. enjoy entertainment yeah. than to go shopping. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, people don't have the money, right? Well, that's possibly one aspect of it. But there's, there's so many multifaceted yeah. elements to why these shops are failing. Yeah. A lot of it is down to resistance to change or lack of ideas. That's true. But also down to people's, people's spending. Spending abilities. Maybe you can tell us if you go into a department store between now and the point where it closes. Mm -hmm. You've only got a, a few weeks, I think, before maybe you might find there is no department stores left in your area. Um, that's certainly what we're seeing in, uh, in Augsburg. Oh, they might be having sales. That's nice. I mean, yeah, that might be it. Sell everything now. Mm. <laughs> but you can get all the blue T-shirts you want. <laughs> That brings us to the end of the show. We are going to set up a Sri Lankan street food stand in an empty department store. I can't wait. I'm really I'm hungry <laughs> just thinking about it. Uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes, which only takes a minute and can really help us. You can also rate us on Spotify, so chuck some stars our way there as well. Retweet us, share a link or post with the hashtag DecadesFromHome or lowercase on Twitter or Instagram. You can also support the podcast by going to ko-fi.com slash DecadesFromHome and contributing to help keep this boat afloat as ever if you have any questions feedback or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover you can tweet dilly on at delini algama and you can tweet me at 40 percent german you can also get us on decades from home at gmail.com if you have time take a look at 40 percent german.com weekly articles are up every saturday all that's left to say is thanks and be some next time cheers, cheers.